Hey everyone, it's Jason. We hope you're having a great summer so far. We are still on our little hiatus. Uh, myself and Kyle and Kyler are off uh, enjoying some other things right now, but uh, we will be back in two weeks with some fresh episodes. And so we are looking forward to being back and having a whole new lineup of guests and all kinds of stuff. But in the meantime, we promise to keep the feed packed full of information and packed full of content. So uh, if you haven't listened to last week's special episode of Creatio Lab that Kyle produced. Uh, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's only eight minutes long. You will love it. Uh, it's excellent and is super creative. And Kyle has a great challenge for you at the end of the episode. But this week, we are honored to share Michael Bergstrasser's talk from our January 2020 gathering. And uh, it was a wonderful talk and we wanted to share it with you today. So let's just get right to it. Here is Michael Bergstrasser at our Create Initiative gathering in January 2020. My talk tonight is uh, entitled, if you're taking notes, Leading with Nothing to Leading with Everything. Uh, because what we're around, it shapes us, it shapes our lives. Proximity affects so many areas of our life. You so this is, this is a measurable thing that's backed up by study and a lot of scientific evidence. If you've never uh, read a Malcolm Gladwell book, has anyone here read any Malcolm Gladwell books? Anyone? Anyone? So one, pick up one of his, any of them, any of his books. Uh, he is an amazing kind of sociologist, anthropologist that takes what you probably have heard about or experienced or seen something in history or time or business and gets down to the scientific um, real kind of nitty gritty of what really happened in this situation. And uh, a book that I recently read of his, it's called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Now, it's not just about David and Goliath, but it's a little bit about David and Goliath. And when I was reading this, it jogged my heart last year when I was reading it uh, while I was running on the treadmill, which is something I hate I just don't like to sweat. Is anyone else with me? But it's good for us. Yes, it's, I always say it's fat crying. You know, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I tell myself. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, anyway, but uh, it, it really jogged my heart and expanded some serious study that I did back when I was in college on a specific area of leadership. And that area of leadership is that of a shepherd king, specifically King David. Everything in our life, if you're taking notes, this is point one. Um, everything always starts with nothing. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, it said, Jesse had seven sons, seven of his sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. You see, shepherding, I don't know if you know anything about it, it's a nothing job. It is, it's the lowest rung of the, uh, of the agricultural community jobs in this time. It's a nothing job. You're out in the middle of nowhere watching some of the stinkiest and dumbest animals on earth. 
don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but they're like D-U-M, dumb. Like they don't even deserve a B. That's how dumb they are. But he was out there. And when you're out there, you got to feed and care and protect and develop these, these, uh, these animals for your family's livelihood. You got to take care of these things. And, and, and some, a lot of people would see it as a, even like a boring job. You know, lots of time at your hands to kind of do nothing, just out there and like watching these sheep and making sure that they're safe, you know. But, but I believe that time that God gives us, that time used to grow and learn is your best friend. And David used this free time that he had to hone a certain set of skills in his life to the best, to be the best of his profession as a shepherd. His nothing profession, this nothing time that most people would think is a waste. Just kind of keep an eye on him. If we lose a couple, it's going to be okay. You see, the skills of a shepherd is guiding and locating food and locating clean water, keeping animals from spoiled water, protecting the flock from predators and thieves, rod work, staff work, slinging work, um, not slinging drugs, slinging rocks, uh, musicianship, doctor, hunter, gatherer, nursemaid. Have you guys ever seen like your mom's like Christmas thing where it has the shepherd who's like holding the little lamb around his like shoulders? And you're always like, what the heck is that? It's actually, it's generally a lamb, a, a small sheep, not like a big honking big one. Because shepherds, you know, in the Bible even says like he left the 99 to go find the one that got away. And the one's usually the young one who is chasing a butterfly or chasing clover or whatever. But this sheep would continue to get away. This lamb would. So what shepherds often will do is they will go to that lamb and they will come and they will break its leg on purpose so it can't walk. And then they will splint it and they will carry that lamb around till it's safe. So that leg is healed. It's kind of like, that's a, that's a little bit harsh. But that lamb, when it's his leg is healed and that shepherd has nursed its leg and taken care of that lamb and got it food and water, that lamb will never leave that shepherd's side ever again. Let that kind of seek into your life. Have you ever been through a time in life where it felt like God was maybe breaking something in your life and it, it, it flipping hurt? But while you're letting him and the people in your church, the people around you help mend that break or that hard time. And when it was over and you became whole, you might still have that scar. But when you went through that time, there's a connection you have with God and the local church that's you're not going to drift in that direction again, hopefully. You see, shepherding is a hard job. And plus during this whole period where David was growing in this, like he was the youngest of seven brothers. And so one thing he learned, if you've ever been around boys, especially seven boys, it was pretty much like WWE all the time in his house. You know, like I have two little girls, uh, Addison and Sophia. Addison is seven and Sophia is three and they're girls, but I'm very much um, a boy. And so I... I've heard someone say, just raise your girls till they're like 10, like boys, and then they'll figure out all the other stuff later. So like Sophia's three, what did she want to be for Halloween? Optimus Prime. Yes, I'm succeeding as a father. Totally. Like I, that was not, she's like, Sophia, what do you want to be? Optimus Prime. I'm like, okay, that's the coolest. Yep, that's what you're going to be. There's no questions asked. But we were out jumping on the trampoline the other day and like 
Like they've never seen wrestling and stuff, but th my two little girls have their, you know, their tights on and their shirts and they just take their shirts off and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you are the best little girls. So I'm hoping one day that God's blessing me with some boys that we can just have these wrestle. But, but David's family was brothers and he learned how to fight. He probably learned how to shepherd too from his probably next oldest or next couple oldest brothers who taught him and, and they weren't like, you know, just, they weren't like all nicey-nice. They didn't have adult supervision. But David learned from his brothers how to fight. How do we know this? Because David later on in his life is a warrior king. Like David's mighty men fighting and people killing so many people that their hands like atrophied to the sword, stuff like that. And these were David's mighty men. He was the leader of these mighty men. Dude could fight. He was learning in this time and, and cultivating and, and honing some skills. My question for you, what was a nothing time in your life? Or what is right now maybe a nothing time in your life? What shaped you? What was a time that shaped you? Or what is a time right now where you're spending in that nothing time learning and growing that's shaping something new in your life? Think about that for a second. Maybe a time in your life when you were learning and growing in some basic principles and disciplines. For me, I grew up in Oklahoma City. Uh, the church that I grew up at and spent most of my time is now uh, uh, the inner city church. Uh, in Oklahoma City, if you're familiar, kind of a rough neighborhood. And uh, that's where I grew up at. And that's where I spent my years, you know, being basically a church rat. When I was 14, 15, 16, 17, I was the maintenance man of our church. And we had a school and a daycare and a high school, different locations. So I was around church and buildings and painting and plumbing and all the stuff that's illegal through OSHA and stuff and my church would have got fined but I was driving church fans at 15 years old to gas them up in car like I've just been around it and even my home life growing up was very creative my dad was an artist and I could tell my dad I want you to draw Santa Claus coming down in a 57 Chevy pulled by reindeer on fire delivering Domino's pizza to Batman. And he would just like draw it out and it'd be perfect. And I was like, yes. My mom even said that when I was like a little kid, the best babysitter, because in the 80s, anyone here alive in the 80s, remember the 80s? A little bit, yeah, come on somebody. So uh, we, my dad, like his side hustle back then, he would put poster board, like a, not poster, but like a banner, white, and he would paint banners by hand in the garage. And my mom said, I would put you in your high chair and you would just sit there and just watch them for hours. And you would like draw on your thing or just like, you wouldn't, you'd forget about drawing, you just watch and he'd just paint and you'd like fall asleep out there in the garage, you know, huffing turpentine fumes and stuff like that, you know? Like, it was great. It was like a great babysitter. And that's probably why I forget things sometimes. But anyways, but even my grandfather, he was a sign man. Like he owned a sign business in Oklahoma City and he built signs. I'm talking raw material, raw aluminum, raw everything. No like prepackaged, send it off to a big company in Houston. Like he built it from scratch. And I got to be a part of that 
from nothing to the sign that's on a building, on a billboard, on a highway, on a inside of a building, hand painting, hand lettering, vinyl, that whole thing. That was my upbringing. That's what, I, that's what I was surrounded around. And it helped to get me to where I am today. There was hours and hours of upbringing around church and creativity. And, and those lessons that I learned have helped me to be where I am today. You see, some of you may be in a nothing time right now, but all of us need to be in a nothing time of learning and growing and failing forward all the time. Nothing time is practice. Nothing time is practice. And my second point of this is practice makes patterns. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. But crappy practice is just going to make crappy. Practice makes patterns. What you put into your practice is the what you get is going to influence what you get out of it. Practice makes patterns. How are you practicing your nothing time? Your what other people would call free time or that time that you just have that she's like I can kind of do something I'm working on this, but how can I get better at this? Is it graphics? Is it design? Is it video? Is it worship? Is it, is it preparing a message or taking leading students or small groups or missions or tech or whatever area you're in? How am I growing in this area of my life? How am I using this, this nothing time where no one really sees it? No one's like, oh, wow, look at this. It's this shaping period, this gaining of knowledge and wisdom that can help propel you to the future. And we'll see that in a little bit. What are you developing in? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? What are you changing about yourself? What are you creating? How are you thinking? How are you taking care of your soul? How are you taking care of your body? Who are you meeting with? Who is speaking into you? And what do you need to kill? What do you need to stop? doing. Because what you're practicing now is becoming part of who you are. I'm going to say that again. What you're practicing and working on now is becoming part of who you are. Proximity is key. You see, David, he practiced. He practiced the lyre, the harp, and that got him in Saul's court in an armor bearer ship. He practiced the rod. It's basically a, a, a stick, a beat down stick, basically kind of like a training sword. You know, it doesn't say exactly how he killed the lion and the bear. It just said that he, he killed them. This is a hand-to-hand -hand combat weapon. And it goes to show by the rest of his life later on that he became, even before he was a king, he was a bit of a warlord. The mighty men and stuff I mentioned earlier clenched to the sword. The staff. A shepherd's staff, it's used to guide sheep, it's used to pull sheep up if they fall down or to get them to move over. It's used to, to guide, to, to get up on rocky, hilly, deserted places like where shepherds would have to go from field to field to valley to place. The sling, accurate and deadly, but you had to practice to get good at that. If anyone, target shooters or hunters or anything like that, like, I don't know if any, you ever just walked out and be like, hey, there's a deer, bam, got it. Like, it doesn't really work like that. You have to, 
get dialed in. You have to practice archery or guns or spitballs. Whatever it is, you've got to practice to become excellent at that. You see, the sling, what's interesting about that, is it wasn't just used to kill things. It was actually a tool that shepherds would use. They would use it to get a sheep's attention, maybe a nearby toss near the sheep, and they'd look, look over and, oh, come on, it's time to go to the next place. You've eaten too much of that clover. You're going to get sick, and then I have to deal with it later. You know, a direct hit if that sheep or that lamb is being stubborn. But it's also used the time to pass like hitting random things. Like, like when you're a kid and you walk to a lake and there's rocks, what are you going to do? You're going to throw rocks because it's just, there's something within, especially the mind of a young fella. I don't know, some of you ladies, you totally, that's probably, your, you, you, want, you, you want to do it because it's fun. It's fun to skip rocks. It's fun to set bottles up and try to hit them with, like it's just fun. But that fun developed into something else. It developed into something that was a tool, but it was also a weapon that could be used to maim or even kill predators or even people. You see, you have to be deadly accurate when it comes to using a, a sling in certain areas because life and death of your flock and even life and death of yourself are in the balance. It's said that, that shepherds in biblical times could get a piece of camel hair tied to a tree and tie a rock at the bottom. And at 30, 50, 60 yards could hit that camel hair every time to drop that rock. That's how accurate they became. Because you see, it was his development of these skills that led him to his most memorable moment ever. And it just involved one stone perfectly sunk into the forehead of a giant. One meeting that changed his life forever. It's interesting to me that the first ever crate initiative that I ever came to was actually at Woodlake, but it was at the one that was closer to like central Tulsa. And last night when I gave this a message in OKC. It was in what we call our living room. It's just kind of a multi-purpose room where we can do everything from weddings, small memorial services, group gatherings, small groups, place to hang out between experiences where the people can eat. We just call it the living room. It's super multi-purpose. But in that room on one side was the spot where I was hired to be the interim student pastor at North Church about 11 years ago. I remember that meeting, I wore my jeans and my mohawk hairdo and my super trim beard at that time. I've let things go in multiple areas of my life since then, but we won't talk about that. Uh, uh, so, uh, and uh, I was wearing like jeans, my best shirt and a black like, like pastor preaching like suit coat jacket. And, and they said, do you think you want the shot? I'm like, let me pray about it. I knew right then, but I needed to say like the spiritual, I need to pray about it. And so I called them back. Yes, I'd love it. And so I was the interim student pastor hired in this side of the room and, and, and maintenance man of the church, making like enough money where I still had to live with my parents, you know, that sort of thing. Driving my 1984 Pontiac Bonneville Brom. I mean, life was good, people. Life was good. But from that moment to just a few years later, on literally the other side of the room, 
that same conference table, we moved it on the other side of this big room to the other side. And I sat there in a meeting and they said, Michael, you've shown yourself faithful with little. Not with nothing, but you've shown yourself faithful with the things of student ministry. They hired a student pastor that I became his associate and I was doing creative stuff for students and making things and building stuff with my hands. And I remember when I came on, I was like, can I buy a styrofoam cutter? It's like 40 bucks or I don't remember how much it was. And I would make these signs with styrofoam and, it was, and I knew you need to wear a mask and a respirator because the fumes are toxic. but. You know, you're just, you know, I didn't do that, but um, I would just make stuff and create and like fail forward and, and, and they saw that work. And I picked up like, they, I was like, I need to learn like how to better digitally edit and stuff like that. They're like, well, here's Photoshop Elements and a computer, just figure it out. And I was like, cool, okay. So I figured it out. I looked at tutorials online. I asked questions of people in our office on the creative team that were like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you show me how this and how stuff moved and changed? And they said, Michael, you've shown yourself faithful. We want you to be the creative director of the church. You can do whatever you want, sort of. That's still like, my pastor is so great. He's like, I would much rather have to rein you in than whip you to go. So... The sky's the limit, as creative as I want to be, as much work and effort and thing as I want to put into it, I have great free reign to do that. And I love my pastor. I love my pastor and our team for that. But it was this time, this moment, those two moments that have brought me here before you guys today. You see, a moment can change your life forever, but all the previous nothing got you there. You know, it's a scary moment sometimes, but God has a plan, a wildly unsafe leap of faith plan, but you got to trust him. You see, because in David's case, in hand-to-hand -hand combat, he would have probably been murdered or killed very quickly by the giant because all Goliath's armor points to an excellent, he was the champion of the Philistines. Sword, spear, armor, heavy, Nine foot tallish, brute strength, brute power. Hand to hand combat, David didn't stand a chance. But in David's case, when the game was death, anything goes. David didn't hesitate for a moment on the way that he wanted to kill the giant. And this is an important thing. Just because a problem looks a certain way does not mean you have to attack it in the usual way. I'm going to say that again. Just because a problem looks a certain way, like you need to go at it a certain way, does not mean you have to attack it in the usual way. In David's mind, it was, the fight was over before it even started. David ran towards Goliath towards the giant, and with one swing, Goliath dead on his face. So short and so quick. When you look at the science of it, literally, Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. And it was done before it even started. When you're practicing on your regular nothing time, what you're practicing in your regular nothing time 
could be a catalyst to bring a victory that can help carry you for the rest of your life. What are you practicing at? What are you intentionally learning and implementing? Because if you want to do better in something, then you have to do something different. So I'm going to take off the speaker hat for a second and ask a question. What, what are you practicing at right now? What are you intentionally learning and implementing? What are some things that you're, that you're practicing right now that you're wanting to get better in? Floor's open. Just holler it out. A couple people. What's something you're working at? What's something you're practicing right now? Yeah. That's that's key. That's key for all of us, really, <laughs> but especially in this realm that you're that you're leading in something else, someone else, something that you're practicing, you're working on in your nothing time. Yeah. Different feels. Different generations. Are all your churches kind of multi generational? Everything probably all they all are, you know. You want to, you got younger, you got medium, you got kids without kids, single, married with kids, all over the place. You got to hit a lot of different people, so we have to be very diverse. Yeah, anyone else? Something that you're working on, you're practicing in right now. Discipline. Discipline. <laughs> yes. I actually have a second message that I'll be delivering. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Discipline. Oh, that, just that word. It's just, just like, ah, oh, that like self-control. Like it's key. It's hard. It's tough. But we have to have discipline because if you don't have discipline, what do we have? Chaos. And we don't serve a chaotic God. So we have to work, we have to work at that. Like treadmill time. Like we have to work. I have to work at that. No. <laughs> Discipline in, in getting into the word, trying new things, trying new things all the time. As creatives, I think we're called to that. We have to try new things all the time. Because if you're not moving forward and trying something new, you got to try new things. You got to try new, new, new ways of doing things. And I'll get to that here in a little bit. You see, in a moment, all the things that you can be implementing and growing in can thrust you into an arena that maybe you weren't ready for in a moment's notice. And you want to be ready. In the moment David killed the giant, he gained the eyes of a nation. Yes, he'd always been like anointed king in like this private ceremony thing. But now everyone knew who he was. He was the giant killer. They made up songs on the spot about him. And just when you think he'd start this kind of upward ascension to the throne, the path to gaining everything he could ever want, the road actually became very difficult, a very hard road. Spoiler alert for you guys real quick. Life at many times is going to be a hard road. It's not going to be easy. Just when you've had a great victory, an amazing moment of creativity, it's done, it's over, it's past, and now you have to look at the kind of like the vast expanse of the future, it can be really scary. You see, you don't maybe know where to exactly go from this moment after you had this win, and you believe that 
that in the future that, yeah, I, I, I believe I have this faith that everything is going to be like the best is yet to come, like glory to glory moving, you know, on the graph up to up to the right. Yeah. Be, yeah. Up to the right for you guys, you know, I have to do the opposite over here, you know. But the road, but the road to where there is the next thing is difficult most of the time. Because in life, if it isn't challenging, then you're not growing. If it isn't challenging, then you're not growing. Because if it's easy, it's just like, okay, whatever, I got this. I don't even have to try. But if it's challenging, if it's challenging, that means you're going to grow. Because you're going to be pushing against this to move things forward, to move things up, to move things out, to make things happen. And it's going to be things that maybe you have never done before. For right now, the challenges that are in front of me as a creative director, as a creative person for our church, our website. I've backburnered that thing for too long, and it, it's, really not, it's really not great right now. It's, it's just kind of there. It's got some good info, but it's not excellent, and it's totally my fault, and I have to own that because I lead, and that's something that I'm over. And I think in my head, and to the nth degree sometimes, that maybe people aren't getting the info. They're not getting it in an excellent way that I want, that we're called to be, and, 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 and it's my number one challenge right now, and I'm attacking it as hard as I can. I'm attacking it hard. I'm in meetings. I'm in meetings on Thursday this week to kind of say, what do we need to add? What do we need to subtract? What do we need to look like? What do we need to make? Who do we need to contact? Developers? Do we need to switch from this platform to this platform? Asking all those questions, doing all my homework so that we can get this thing out better and rolling to be the, to be the best thing we can do. And what are we going to do on the back end so I can continue to develop this and put in new patterns and new systems? Because systems are key with creativity. They're key with leading people and teams and groups. you got to have systems in place so that it doesn't get to the point that it is right now. Social media, it's the fastest moving and ever-changing kind of globulous, amazing, fun organism that... that, that that you can speak to the multitudes in just a moment, in an instant. How do, we, how, do we, how do we as a church be awesome at that? It's forever changing. How do we have to keep a pulse and be doing new things that are a little bit scary? We haven't done this before. It's stepping out in faith, but that's what faith is, going into the unknown. How do we use social media to our advantage? To take over the, what, 167 hours that, we, that people aren't at our church in a week. How do we speak and speak life into them during that time? Outreach. What does outreach look like in 2020? How do we love our city and love our people with the best message ever written? Is it small investments? Is it one big investment? Is it multifaceted kind of front approach? You see, bringing others, for me too, another thing that I'm thinking about is bringing others on this creative journey. Like how do I pour what I know and the things into others? And how do I bring people that are better at something and bring them along this journey to help the church better and help better me? How do I train people up in creativity? How do I spend the time and, and, and do all that? What, what does that look like? How do I do that better? I'm doing that now, but how do I do it better? 
You see, there's been some things that we've done at our church, at North Church for a while, that we're evaluating right now. We're, we're in constant state of evaluation, but really we're like a different like level and eyesight of evaluation, and we're evaluating everything. We're changing and doing something new at our church. There's, there's a motto that we're, that's coming around. It's new wine and new wineskins. It's a motto of our church. And I think it's a motto for what church should be forever. New ways of carrying out this living gospel message. The message doesn't change, but the method has to. Because people are changing. People are pushing forward. They're moving. Technology is changing. The way we build is changing. The way a church looks is changing. Your house over the last 20 years, the things you've put in it or the houses you've moved to, things change and things move. The church has to change and move along as well. You see, for right now, there's a heart change happening right now in our church. And it's a heart change time for me as a leader as well. I have to change and I have to do things differently. I have to practice new things in private so that I can implement them and put them out in public. You see, with everything in sight, what I need to encourage you to do, with everything in sight, what I encourage you to not do is don't lose your heart. Don't lose heart. You say David got the girl, he got the money, he got the fame, he gained a friend closer than his seven brothers and Prince Jonathan, he fought for his country, then it all started to come apart. His father-in-law tries to murder him a couple times. He has to flee and leave everything, hide in caves, become a warlord, fight for the enemies of God on a couple occasions, gets his family and kids and all possessions stolen and taken away. It got bad. But David, his whole life, no matter what the mistake or problem, he always sought the Lord. Always. He was promised kingship and he is Israel's greatest king. And his descendant would be the one that would save us all. And what God promises can't be voided. What God promises can't be voided in David's life and in your life. What promises has God given you that you haven't seen yet? You've probably seen some, but what's the promise that you haven't seen yet, that you're still growing and going towards? Because that promise, if it's given by God and you're following God to get to that, it can't be taken away. It can't be voided because God will be a debtor to no man and no woman. If through all the good, bad, awesome, rough, tough, terrible, painful, and glorious, we have to trust God's promise and be willing to let him shape our heart, our desire, our drive, our emotions, we too will be women and men after God's heart. What's your heart's desire as a creative? What's your heart's desire as a creative right now? What is it? Think about that. What is my heart's desire? Do I want to look or be a certain way? Does it want to design this something? Do I want to make this event this happen? Does this look or this video or this lighting design or to sing and to play a certain way? Like, what's my heart's desire? I think as a creative, our number one role or desire should be to make life better. To make life better. Because I think if we learn from our creator, God, he made everything on earth in just a short little period of time. And we're still utilizing and using all those same things today. We're creating off his initial creation to make 
life better. And as a follower of Christ, when we spend time with our creator, you'll learn how to create. When you spend time with a creative person, proximity in learning, you'll learn how to create. Because you're learning from Almighty Creator. To make our and others' life better, we have to spend time with Him. It shapes our heart. It shapes our heart. It shapes our heart. It shapes our desire. The essence and core of our truest driving force. We have to spend time with our Creator. We have to get in our word. We have to listen to him. We got to talk to him about everything. And we got to implement those things in our lives so that we can lead the people in the churches that God's called us to. You see, truly following Jesus should be making our life better. And everything we create for God should be leading others to see him as well and making their lives better. Doing it with our best effort. Striving for better. Striving for excellence in everything. You see, what this year God's been really calling me to do more of and to think about in this year is how can I create in a way that leads people to Jesus? How can I use my nothing times to learn and to grow and to practice so I can lead people to Jesus? Through prayer, like, and my prayers just, God, help me. Give me wisdom. Help me to see what you see and be able to provide a solution. Help me to change the parts of me that need to change so I can solve the problem at hand. I want people far from you to be near. People like my woodcutter. His name's Bob. He was sick. I went to go pick up some wood. He didn't come to our church. He cuts wood on CNC, CNC router for us for different events and stuff. Super talented guy. And I said, Bob, how are you doing? He's like, not good. The doctor, my liver and stuff is just bad. I don't know what to do. And I was like, can I pray for you? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll do whatever. I pray for him. A couple weeks later, I come back to pick up a job. He's like, I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, Doctors don't know what happened. I'm, I'm great. No problems, nothing. He just has this look on his face. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. He's like, can I come to your church? <laughs> and I'm like, come on, man. Because every time I go with them, I'm just loving them, encouraging, hanging out, and showing them pictures of the thing he made that we painted or put together at our church. I want more stories like that to happen. I want people that are far from God to be able to be near and come in. I think as a creative, we have to learn and practice and grow so that more people can come in to this family. Let me pray for you, and then we'll have some question and response time. God, I thank you for this crew tonight. Lord, I pray you bless and keep. You cause your face to shine upon them, and you give them peace in their lives and their families. Lord, as they travel home tonight, near or far, you give them safety, give them creative talk and thought and ideas so that they can go and they can take what you have what you have placed in their heart tonight through my just words of trusting you, God, to speak to them what you've called me to. Lord, to 
to bring some changes into the shifts in their personal time and their nothing times and their times of growth and practice and learning so that they can bring your message and your truth and your light to everywhere they go, God. I thank you for this time that we have tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.